You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for tuning in today. We've got quite a show coming this morning. We're going to be speaking about the markets with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing here in just a moment. We have seen soybeans on a back-and-forth dance for, well, since trade reopened for 2023. We'll get Chris's thoughts on where the trade may be going from here. In segment two, we're going to look across the pond at the European Union. It is Wednesday, so it's time for the monthly grind with our friend from National Corn Growers Association. We're going to talk about their trip to the EU meeting on agriculture. Troy Schneider will join us for that in segment two. And in segment three, we're going to talk fertilizer. That market continues to move. Josh Linville, vice president of fertilizer at Stonex, will be joining us with a look at that commodity here in this new year. Before we jump into all of that, however, let's take a look at these markets. Chris Robinson joins us now from Robinson Ag Marketing at Chris Soybeans. We're up in the overnight, up almost double digits potentially in some cases. That seems to have cooled off a little bit right now. What's happening in the soybean trade? Well, you know, we had a really good move to finish the year. Uh, That was one thing. We got up to five-month highs, six-month highs. So that was, uh, um, you know, a combination of good demand, the lower dollar, and people just, you know, covering shorts. You also had the funds dressing up their long bet to end the year. So, you know, it's the, the first two days, are, are, you know, it's not nice to see, you know, uh, uh, a 25, 35-cent pullback. But if you look at the big picture, which is what I try and get guys to do, the trend remains up, certainly up since the July lows. Um, and it just seems more like positioning to me prior to this USDA report on the 12th. That's the thing. We've got more USDA reports coming out. We've got the Brazilian soybeans coming to market, or at least those early harvests coming to market here in the short term. What are you expecting to see when that report comes out next Thursday, Chris? Well, I, I don't expect any surprises. If there are, though, um, you know, um, we'll we'll have to reprice. And generally, those reports, uh, you know, we get one every month. But this January report is a big one because it kind of sets the stage. For uh, an, it gives us the final production numbers. It gives us uh, an updated on stocks. So it can have an impact. Historically, that's been a report that can move us surprisingly. So while I'm not expecting anything radically different, I mean, we've got a, uh, a pretty good sense for where we're at. Um, you know, you never know what the USDA is going to throw at us. What could they throw at us? Well, they could throw a change in the carryout. So if they change anything in the carryout, with the beans and corn. We know that the stocks are really tight for wheat, but wheat has not really responded to that. Wheat has been the, um, you know, the, the kind of the worst performing commodity uh, in the past uh, two, three months. We've had a little bit of a rally, but just no legs to it. So I think that may be something that we look at too. If they, if they change anything in the worldwide stocks, um, you know, that could, could uh, uh, cause a repricing event. So, you know, and I'm not always just bearish, bearish, bearish. You know, it could be priced to the upside. So if you're an end user, you know, the, the risk is that, you know, they, they, they uh, come out with something, we have a nice bull move. And if you're an end user, then that would hurt your bottom line. So I always advise people, get your risk on paper. Uh, the USDA can really only do one thing. I don't care if you're a bull or a bear. The USDA can only hurt you. That's a good point. Always something to keep in mind anytime we're confronting these massive potential days of movement in the market. Chris, you mentioned the big picture growing, going back to those summer lows is the trend is up here in soybeans. From a technical perspective, what are you watching for some resistance levels as this trend keeps moving higher? Oh, we've seen this time and time again. If you look especially with March, March beans, you know, $15, right? For six months, we couldn't get above that. That's another reason we had a big jump in the year. We're dancing right around that. New crop beans, same thing, $14 for six months. That's been a pretty good level to sell. Um, looking at new crop corn, you know, I can't remember the last time was. I'd have to go back and look at the old charts, but we're starting the year, and we're on a down day, right? And we're still at 6 bucks. So the market is kind of uh, giving you good opportunities for new crop. Um, old crop is going to be subject to the vagaries of, you know, the, the weather, 
going to be subject to what the, the managed funds do. But new crop corn and new crop beans, we're starting the year in good positions. Boy, you know, I, I hope these are the worst uh, levels that we see for 2023, um, you know, $6 corn and $14 beans. So I've watched those levels carefully. All right, maybe draw a line in the sand right there. Chris, earlier on, you mentioned the wheat market and the focus that's seeing from the international trade. Of course, we had crop conditions come out yesterday, and not surprisingly, the winter wheat crop in this country is struggling. What's it going to take to turn this wheat market around? You know, it's, that's a good question. Now, we're still at relatively good levels, though, right? So we're, we're at close to 15-month lows in Chicago wheat. We're dancing around one-year lows in Kansas City and Minneapolis. Um, wheat has been the the, the least the, the the worst performer, but you know if you go back and look historically, I can remember you know back in 2000 we were trading two and three dollar wheat. So to be starting the year out to be complaining with spot wheat at 750 or 850 in Kansas City or nine dollars in, in Minneapolis, uh, you know so you've got to take the the fact that we've been in a, a correction downward here with a grain of salt. Like everything else, sooner or later supply and demand is going to you know, rule the day, but we've seen a lot of supply coming online, coming out of of uh, Russia and Ukraine. Every time there's been a sale, they have hit it with a with a bid. Um, and the bull story, you know, is being concerned about what's going on with the Black Sea. That's kind of run its course. So, in my opinion, sometime in the next three to six months, we're going to get down to brass tacks, and that's going to be, you know. What's the supply situation? Um, but again, you know, if we're starting the year out, if these are our worst prices ever, it's still a good place to be. Um, if I'm talking to a wheat producer, you know, I would still say the same thing. Keep, you know, protect, protect, protect. Don't limit your upside because we've seen time and time again that you can go to bed at night and wheat can move 50 cents. And uh, so this isn't, you know, a place to be, I think, getting too aggressively bearish or bullish. You're just going to have to sit tight and wait for the market to wake up to the supply and demand issues. And when it does, man, it can move fast. Chris, taking a look at the markets this morning, it does seem like we've got one commodity really on a tear, and that's feeder cattle. Seeing the January through May all up, uh, well, triple digits, two to almost $3 here in some cases. Anything in particular moving the feeder cattle market today? Yeah, I think that you obviously, you know, it's a pretty big move. We had a nasty down uh, down move yesterday, kind of a general like sell all commodities to start the beginning of the year, kind of a, a strange trade. And you get a lot of that here in the beginning of the year. There are a lot of people that are still on vacation. You know, I, w I would resist the temptation to, to get too excited about one move. However, big picture, right? We talk about the big picture. You know, we're at, uh, uh, if you look at feeder cattle, we're at the highest we've been since September. So, you know, a three month high, we're born a nice $11 recovery from those October lows. And we're all familiar with the fact that, you know, the, the, the herd is smaller than it needs to be. Um, I think the fact that corn is a little bit lower today um, is, is probably, you know, um, uh, helping feeders. In fact, I'm just looking now. My goodness, corn just dropped a dime. So that's probably what's pulling up feeders. The whole protein complex, though, is in really good shape. Great opportunities there for producers. Love to hear that. Opportunities out there for protein producers, folks. We've been talking with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Have a great week. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns after this break, it'll be time for the monthly grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Stay here. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Fifty-four. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's time now for AOA to continue, and it's time for the monthly grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. We like to do this event each month. You can find us on the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA. We're talking about what happens to that corn after it leaves your farm. Where are those new amounts of demand going to come from? And to do that, we are joined this month by the Market Development Action Team member, Troy Schneider. He is a Colorado corn grower, longtime member, of NCGA. And Troy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike, for having us here. It's always a pleasure to visit with you here on the Monthly Grind every uh, every month on the first Wednesday. Well, we appreciate doing it. And Troy, I want to talk about market development, which of course is what the market development action team does. And sometimes developing new markets means maintaining the gains that we've had. And I understand that you and Sarah McKay from NCJ recently had the chance to travel to Brussels for the US-EU Collaboration Platform on Agriculture. That's a huge name. Troy, what was this deal that you and Sarah went to over there in Europe? Well, Mike, the collaboration platform on agriculture started about, uh, this is the first time it, it has happened. It started over a year ago with the USDA visiting with its counterpart, DG Agri over in the European Union. And we attended after the, the collaboration platform on ag, we attended the European Union's ninth annual agricultural outlook forum. And, you know, everybody's hearing about farm to fork and their green deal over in Europe. And so I think my opinion is this is USDA's way of having a conversation, having an open dialogue with our counterparts in the EU and trying to understand where some of their policies are coming from, where they're wanting to go and answering our questions and our concerns as to how that will affect us with different, um, you know, like you said, we have to defend our markets and not only defend our markets, but also 
in not only in the European Union, but the influence the European Union has on other countries uh, and their policies, whether they adopt a radical policy such as what we're seeing south of our border right now. You know, that is a great point, Troy. When we think of the developed economies of the world, of course, the United States is up there. We've got science and technology. And we think of Europe as having science and technology too, but they really don't when it comes to agriculture. And can you tell us a little bit about how, what were some of the key differences between the U.S. folks who were there talking about our, our way of doing business and the Europeans? So where did you see some of the biggest differences in, in mindset? Some of those biggest, some of the biggest differences that I got to witness was just the the view on how they want to use technology or don't want to use technology, uh, the strict regulations that the European farmer is facing on not only fertilizer use but herbicide use, um, the the reductions that they're wanting to see over there, the reductions in how many animals they can have per hectare or per acre over here, uh, but over in the European Union. Those regulations, um, I think Ted McKinney with the National Association of State Department of Agriculture said it best, we're going to agree to disagree. Um, we're we're going to have a strict, uh, uh, a very strong argument uh, in those discussions, but then we sat down afterwards and we were friendly and had uh, great conversations about how we how we view things different. Uh, but the technology was the the strongest one. You know, and agree to disagree means that we've got some areas where we're not going to find common ground on, at least not anytime soon. But Troy, I imagine since it is farmers in the EU, just like it's farmers here, there are some common ground areas that that we can work together on. Did you identify any of those as you were working with your compatriots there in Brussels? Yes. Um, you know, the European Union, the the farmers of the European Union, have a different opinion than the policymakers of the European Union when it comes to the restrictions that are being placed on the farmers themselves. Um, I urge the European Union stakeholders over there and the United States Department of Ag to listen to their farmers and their ranchers. You know, that we're the ones who know what's going on on the ground. Um, you know, yesterday you had a conversation with NCBA about waters of the U.S. And again, I think that's a classy, classic one where they need to listen um, to what is actually going on on the ground, not the policy dictating down, but the the what the what the environment's wanting to um, talk about there and how it what is actually fact out on the ground. Right. What does the science support? What can, what does the research bear out to help us make decisions versus maybe potentially what's what's emotional uh, mm -hmm. as a response? Troy, to that end, I understand soil health is one of those topics that it, it does sound like some common ground was found. Was that an issue that was under hot discussion? Uh, it is. Um, you know, they they would like to see more cover crops, less herbicide use, uh, more crops continually being grown. And, you know, their rainfall is greater than, at least their rainfall is greater than what I see here in Colorado. Now, in the Midwest, it's a different story, but the, the limitation on the use of herbicides and the limitation on the fertilizer, my concern there was um, don't hijack soil health for a strict climate policy that it's it maybe not even best for the environment when they're talking reduction of their food production and increased food prices based on their policies. You know, I think uh, you asked what the biggest difference was. Overall, it's, you know, the United States is committed to feeding and fueling the world. And um, to me, the European Union wants to look more inward and take care of itself. And they have that right to, but we also have a responsibility to feed our, to feed the, to feed humanity. That is certainly true. That is certainly true. And of course, you know, as I think of other issues that are percolating in Europe, and as you mentioned, Troy, these ideas maybe start there, but they they push them around the world into Africa and of course into uh, uh, Australia and New Zealand and greenhouse gas emissions is where I'm going with this. That is certainly a hot topic in the EU. Was it under discussion at the CPA meeting? Yes, it was. Um, you know, 
there was a, a gentleman there that was talking about tax on greenhouse gas emissions on animals and different items like that. And, and we strongly said we, we'd be against that, that there would be no room at the table for that. And, you know, the European Union has signed uh, trade agreements with New Zealand right now and has brought New Zealand into the mindset of, you know, if you're going to trade with the European Union, you're going to adopt their practices. And that is where we, we draw the line as to we have our sovereignty here um, and we have to be able to have all the tools in the toolbox to raise that production. At the EU Ag Agriculture Outlook on Thursday and Friday of that week, the USDA stood up and had a, a chart that I think all corn producers should be really proud of. And it was the, the adaptation of not only her, uh, hybrids, herbicides, uh, guidance, you know, uh, technology, and it, it was paralleled with the increased production that we've had, the, the, per acre, the, per, the bushels per acre. And uh, it was a tip of the hat to the U.S. corn farmer there. Absolutely. When we layer on these technological and scientific advantages to American agriculture, we get really good, not just from a production standpoint, but from an efficiency standpoint as well, which is good news for emissions and you know all that other stuff they're concerned about. Troy, talking about these issues, listening to what the EU is after it, it doesn't sound like it's a market that American farmers want to be involved with. They can have their rules and, and let them be. Tell us why was NCGA there? What was the market development action team doing at a meeting like this well i think it's to you know the usda invited us and i think the most important part is to have those communications to learn not only to see what's going on behind the curtain over in the european union but also to know what's going on with our our partners over in africa mexico uh, and wherever trade may take us but also we need to learn how to let me think about this. We need to learn the lessons of the European Union farmer. We have a strong voice in the United States here with agriculture, especially when it comes to Washington, D.C. And we have to continue to build those relationships, work with the USDA, work with our, you know, NCGAs, working with NCBA and other entities to make sure that our voice is heard. You know, I think the most important thing would be to say here today is there's a reason why it is important to be involved not only as a member of an NCGA but also take part in that checkoff process to make sure that we're um, educating and we're getting our story told the way it should be and not letting others tell our story for us. Absolutely. Don't let U.S. policymakers get too far ahead of American farmers like they've done in the EU. Folks, we've been talking with Troy Schneider on this month's Monthly Grind, and we'll be with National Corn Growers at Cattle Convention in New Orleans next month. Be sure to join us there, and thanks for listening to the Monthly Grind. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association.
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at what's going on here in the market trade after yesterday's big sell-off, we see more mixed activity. Livestock having a nice recovery here today across the board while we see that corn and wheat under pressure with soybeans backing off the highs from the overnight and early in the session on Wednesday, trading right around unchanged. We did get an announcement of a new soybean sale on the Daily Wire on Wednesday morning to unknown destinations usda confirming that sale of 124,000 metric tons to unknown destinations now as we take a look here at what's going on though in this market trade it feels like maybe some follow-through pressure here in corn and wheat and we see the stock market now backing off highs crude oil under pressure down uh, a little over three percent here at last check so it's starting to feel like maybe a turn in this market here as we work in to our day wednesday we'll have to watch and see how the trade holds up now back to livestock markets uh, we see that cattle country few asking prices reported in parts of the south at 158 plus not really established in the north we're hearing a major packer in the north is offered to call in at 252 in parts of eastern nebraska now packer inquiry should continue to improve as the day progresses but it's possible that significant trade volume that's probably going to be delayed until thursday or later on the hog side we're seeing a little bit of uh, re recovery here from yesterday we'll see if that could hold though as we work through the session we continue to watch of course south american weather dryness in argentina seeing a bit more of that come back into the forecast also watching soybean movement from brazil it sounds like soybean traders have confirmed about four cargoes have been booked out of brazil for february shipment and one would imagine that is to china so watching that closely as well Let's check out the market trade this hour. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage an advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today for this next segment. We're going to turn our focus over to those all-important inputs, fertilizer. Joining us now is Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer with StoneX. And Josh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Well, let's start here, Josh, with what's developing in the nitrogen space. As I take a look at the energy markets today, it certainly looks like both crude oil and maybe natural gas are holding steady, dropping a little bit lower. Are we seeing the end price come down? Well, we are in spots around the world. Uh, So obviously over the winter break, a lot of the trade industry takes off. That's a great time, you know, play catch up on the computer, take some time off some of the family, things like that. So there hasn't been much going on, but yeah, now that everybody's coming back, we're starting to see prices trend a little bit lower. Uh, nothing significant, but yeah, a lot of it's being focused on the energy market. So once again, we've been watching European natural gas. It's down now with the futures in the mid-20s. That's low, and price ideas are falling with it. All right, Josh. Well, what does that mean longer term? What, what are you expecting to see nitrogen do here in the short term? Well, that's the thing. I'm actually starting to think we're going to see a turnaround here fairly soon. Q1 is a very, very big world demand period because, let's face it, everybody in the world is preparing for spring. Uh, Europe will need to prepare more than usual. North America needs to buy tons. Asia needs to buy tons. India will be stepping in soon. So 
we expect that there's going to be a surge of demand coming fairly soon. I think that's going to support prices. It's just a matter of time of it's a big question is when does that happen? And we haven't seen it yet. I think everybody's seeing prices fall and they're waiting until the last minute. That's helping prices fall a little bit. But at the same point, that pressure continues to build. When it finally breaks, it's going to be that much worse. And Josh, what's this doing to domestic nitrogen producers? Earlier this fall, I know when we spoke, we were running almost full tilt, but most of that nitrogen was being exported. Are American suppliers keeping it more domestic now, or are we still largely supplying the global market? I think it depends on the product. I think that urea is probably going to start staying at home a little bit more than what it had been. Uh, UAN is likely still continuing to be exported, but I think that trend will slow. I think that they'll start to focus more on the domestic market because, again, that's one of those situations. They don't want to run the risk of oversight starting to watch the marketplace even closer. So I think it's better to keep the tons home. Keep the tons at home. Josh, what does that mean for positioning here ahead of the spring run for American farmers with the low water level in the Mississippi? Did that slow down fertilizers getting upriver to where they need to be? It did. Uh, and it's still a situation that's going on. Now, that situation has improved, of course. Uh, when you look at what's, what went on, you know, 30, 60 days ago, it was significantly lower. It was tough. However, now it's actually been improving. Uh, we've gotten some rains, things like that. Flows are a little bit better, but they're still really significantly slower than what they've been. Really, really hard to move product from point A to point B. Really expensive to move that product. That's true. So those those challenges, it looks like, are likely going to be with us ahead of this spring application season, aren't they? I think so. I, we continue to say we think that the uh, we continue to believe the big storyline of 2023 is going to continue to be fertilizer uh, logistics. You know, it's one thing to see global prices move here, move there. At the end of the day, it you can't do. It doesn't mean anything if you can't put it into place. So that's why we continue to say we think we need to continue talking to our suppliers, our retailers make plans because I know we've tried Wolf as an industry several times about this kind of a story. This one still spooked me a little bit more. All right. Very tight supplies still in the offing. Josh, of course, we've got those Brazilian farmers that those first planted soybeans getting ready to come out. That second crop, Safrina corn going in. How are Brazilian mm -hmm. growers situated fertilizer wise as that crop looks ahead to planting? I think they're doing quite well, actually. Uh, when you look at it, when Russia started to export a lot of products when we all thought they were going to be shut down, Brazil was actually a big recipient of those Russian tons. So they, they had a lot of tons that came that way. They got front-loaded. So we think that they're sitting fairly well. I know there's been some stories saying, oh, they might not have enough. I don't think that's the case. I think that's a little bit of uh, pandering, if you will. I, I think they're doing just fine. Okay. All right. Not expecting any fertilizer uh, shortages down there in Brazil. Here's that second crop kicks off. You know, we, we talk a lot about N this time of year, Josh, but we've also got to keep the focus on the other nutrients out there in the world of potash that Russia Ukraine war continues to go on. How much is that impacting exports out of Belarus or Russia? It can, from a Russia point of view, it's actually fine. Uh, we see very, very little in the way of uh, lowered exports, um, but Belarus continues to be mostly cut off. They are, uh, you know, when you look at it, they're cut off from Lithuania. They are not getting, uh, they're not able to ship anything out to the deep sea ports. The only times they're really exporting are going up uh, through Russia and over to China. Okay, and so even with that export uh, impact still in place on Belarus, that potash price continues to come down, doesn't it, Josh? Yes, it does, because Belarus is a major, major exporter. They're a major supplier to the world marketplace. They're the number three exporter in the world when they were exporting. I think that gives you a, a pretty good idea of just how much demand was cut. And that's what we continue to see. Last, uh, last fertilizer season, this last fall, we think application rates were down. We think demand was down. We think that has been much bigger of an impact than the loss of supply. However, that could rear its ugly head when demand does come back. Well, and to the extent from the industry's perspective, when you see growers withhold or cut back on applications on a, an input like potash, how many years in a row can they do that? Well, that's it depends on the farmer, right? If you've got a farmer who owns his land and has been putting more than adequate supplies on the ground, you know, plenty of nutrients in the soil, they could probably go a couple cycles with very, very minimal application rates and not see a big hit on their yield. Then again, if you're renting that ground and you're just putting on the bare minimum, you probably don't have the ability to go. You probably can't cut much at all without the loss of uh, loss of anything. So I think it really depends on the farmer. I think it depends on the soil. 
That's certainly true. A lot of folks spending that money on soil tests to decide exactly what they need to put into that soil. Josh, while we've got you on the line, phosphates, uh, end of the year, heading into the start of 2023, that market values were continuing to come down. Has the new year's gotten underway? Is that trend still in place? It's, I, I think it's kind of steadied out. We're not seeing quite the drop. I would still say the inclination is lower, but it's not the drop as it has been. Um, same thing. We're just, the market is expecting a lot of demand that comes forward, but we're not seeing it yet. So we've got a little bit of a stalemate going on, but like I said, it's, the market is still leaning towards lower. Their input costs for producing phosphate continues to drop. That means that the market thinks they ought to get a piece of that pie. And for that phosphate market, for American producers of phosphate, Josh, is the price still at a level they're going to continue pumping that product out? Yes. There, I would say at the price that we are today, U.S. manufacturers are not going to cut back. They're going to continue to put their foot on the pedal. They're going to continue to make the stuff. They're still making money. All right. So that looks like it is going to continue. Josh, I want to circle back to a conversation. Well, we've had a couple of times in the past. You mentioned it briefly here, and that's logistics being the scourge of the fertilizer industries. We get into 2023. We've talked in the past about the value of fertilizer at NOLA when they come into the country at the port of New Orleans, but then they've got to get up river. Are we still seeing some of those discounts at the port be eroded by the time the fertilizers make their way up to where they need to be? Yeah. And that's really one of the biggest kickbacks. As the, the market is starting to learn more and more about fertilizer as a whole, that is one of the things that's kind of a sticking point. It's one of the things people get upset about. Like, well, I heard Josh or, you know, some of the AOA talk about fertilizer prices down in NOLA. Why isn't it here at home? A lot of it has to do with those logistics. It's a lot of the same thing as if you're selling corn and you see Chicago corn down a nickel. Well, wait a minute. My elevator price didn't move. Why is that? It's because that basis changes. And we're seeing that difference much, much bigger this year, NOLA to inland prices than what we've seen before. So that's going to be one of those education growing points. And that's what big thing we're trying to continue to point to people is that, yeah, we're seeing the general price decline globally, but don't expect to see that on a retailer. And don't walk into the retail side saying, hey, my price ought to be down 20 because it's down 20 in NOLA. That's unfortunately not the way the world works. I'd love it. I wish it was, but that's just not the, the way it happens. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it would certainly make life a little easier and getting these things bought for operations around the country, but it is just not how it works. Josh, given the fact that we do have so many challenges with logistics, the need to be upfront and early with the retailer, I've got to imagine matters more this year than in years past. Are they hearing stories about not just higher price deliveries, but also delays due to logistics and getting fertilizer to its final location? Yes. It, it's one of those things where we always talk about, hey, we want to save every single dollar that we can. Farming is not easy. It's a very expensive thing to do. But what we, at the end of the day, if we miss out on the bottom of the marketplace by $20, $30, that, you're, that pales in comparison to what would happen if we weren't able to get our hands on the product. So we need to continue to have these conversations. We need to look at our retailer, our co-ops, our supplier, not as an adversary, but as a partner in our operations. Because, again, price declines are out there. And the supply side, it doesn't want to bring the product in and see the price slide anymore. The farmer does. If the entire market sits there and waits, eventually time runs out. That's right. Uh, there is a clock running, and it's looking at that March time frame you mentioned, Josh. Even though we've seen recent declines, you expect that price to start moving higher, at least on N. Is that India tender going to be probably the leading edge of that price spike? I think it will. We're watching India to see what the reaction is from the world. If we see India step in, they you know make their purchase and the world starts to rally, we think it just continues as everybody else starts to step in the line. All right, folks, keep an eye on the headlines as these global buyers start to shake up this industry yet again. We will likely see more volatility on the fertilizer front. Luckily, Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at StoneX, keeps track of these and will join us to provide updates throughout the year. Josh, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. Anytime, Mike. And folks, stick around. We've got a lot more to come from AOA. Chris Clayton over at DTN issued a great piece looking at the impact of carbon pipelines and the development that is coming shortly. Stay tuned on AOA. We'll have more coming up after this.
Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe... Someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go. Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. 
Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. If you listen to this program, you know that uh, we support biofuel production and always encouraged to see more of that, which is made here in the United States, going to fuel American vehicles and vehicles around the world. But of course, as we look forward with biofuels and with any liquid fuel, the question and concern turns to emissions. Well, some biofuel producers are looking at pipelines, the idea of sucking off the carbon dioxide that's emitted as ethanol is processed, putting it in a pipeline, shipping it across the country, and then pumping it back into the ground from whence it came into caverns, down some up in the Bakken uh, oil shale field in North Dakota, and some in Decatur, Illinois. Two companies are looking to build these pipelines, at least initially. Navigator CO2 is looking at building a carbon pipeline that would stretch from South Dakota through parts of Nebraska, Iowa, and Illinois terminating in Decatur, Illinois is a place to put that CO2 in the ground. And then there is the Summit uh, Carbon Pipeline, and that would run basically in the opposite direction. It would run from Iowa, South Dakota, Minnesota, North Dakota, and it would pump all of that carbon into the ground in the Bakken oil field in uh, the North Dakota. These two pipelines have been proposed. They have been signing easement agreements with landowners across the country, but now they're moving into the political realm. In Iowa, we saw these uh, the Public Utilities Council take a look at these pipelines late last year. Several counties in Iowa are introducing ordinances to regulate carbon sequestration pipelines, and it was announced that uh, the Iowa State House will be taking up conversation about carbon sequestration pipelines uh, later on in the session because Pat Grassley, the uh, Speaker of the Iowa House, said the issue has become a big issue for lawmakers in rural districts. It's true in Iowa. It's also true in South Dakota. Their Public Utilities Commission is expected to have a hearing on Thursday, January 5th, to discuss both the summit and Navigator Heartland Greenway projects. And um, there's been a bunch of back and forth. Chris Clayton over at DTN has been following this story very closely, recently put forward a piece discussing the back and forth. It's it's really pitch, a pitting sort of landowner rights folks against the ethanol industry. And uh, both both groups have, uh, have, I think, strong cases to be made, but that fight is happening now. So this discussion at the South Dakota Public Utilities Commission is set for Thursday. Also on Thursday, Minnesota Public Utilities Commission is expected to have a hearing as well. Uh, they are just going to be discussing the Summit Carbon Pipeline because it's going to cross two counties in southwest Minnesota. Now, a lot of these pipeline projects are picking up steam because of some tax credit changes that were made in the Infrastructure Reduction Act. We've spoken with uh, biofuels experts on the program about that. They were called the 45Q tax credits. They were increased from $50 per metric ton of carbon sequestered to $85 per metric ton. And that has changed the economics of these pipelines fairly substantially. And it's expected that we'll see more pressure and more push on both sides of this issue as 2023 gets underway. And it's going to dovetail, I think, with what those conversations are going to shape up for in Washington, D.C., Energy is top of mind for this new Congress. Of course, uh, Congress right now is sorting out the Speaker of the House issue on the House side, but several members are already preparing to launch bills to be up for consideration in this Congress, and energy is amongst them. First of all, Republicans are hoping to introduce a bill that would limit and set guidelines to future re releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And there's going to be some increased look at ESG. We've talked about ESG a lot on the program. It's the idea of investing, not necessarily based on profit and loss metrics, but based on metrics of environmental, su sustainable, and governance goals. How good are you as a corporate citizen, quote, unquote? 
Well, Republicans have long taken exception to this line of thinking. We've seen several states push back on ESG and anti-fossil fuel investing, and Republicans at the national level are going to take a look. Their concern is that perhaps ESG investing isn't allowing these money managers to be appropriate fiduciaries for their the money under their steward. So we're at Patrick McHenry, who's the top Republican on the House Financial Services Committee, said that he anticipates that Republicans will, quote, work together to conduct appropriate oversight of activist regulators and market participants who have an outsized impact. So that those investment firms who are pushing against fossil fuels are they doing right by their investors? Congress is likely going to look into that issue, and it's one that's being replicated at the state level. Kentucky recently, in fact, earlier today, announced 11 banks that the state of Kentucky legally can boycott. The Kentucky General Assembly last year passed a bill that directed the state treasurer to publish a list of financial company, companies rather that engage in energy boycotts. Effectively, what they're saying is if a bank says it's not going to finance a fossil fuel project, whether it's a coal mine or an oil well, that gives the state of Kentucky the right to not do business with them. And uh, Kentucky State Treasurer Allison Ball uh, listed those 11 banks that they can now not do business with. And they say, they say that when these companies boycott fossil fuels, quote, they intentionally choke off the lifeblood of capital to Kentucky's signature industries. The discussions over these ESG investments are not going to stop. They are likely here to stay as long as this remains a focus for investors. Bringing the topic back to the ag industry, we continue to track that highly pathogenic avian influenza. Of course, 56 million birds culled at last count here in this country, but that spread is happening around the world. Bird flocks overseas, notably Japan and the Czech Republic, announced most recently a number of large culling efforts to help contain these cases. In Japan, it was announced the tally of birds impacted by HPAI in 2022 came to over 7.7 .7 million, with over a million of them being egg-laying hens. In the Czech Republic, the impact has not been quite as large, but they are a much smaller poultry producers. Czech officials plan to cull 220,000 hens on a poultry farm that's 90 miles west of Prague following confirmation of that high-path avian influenza late this last week. That struggle continues. American ag scientists are working to battle it. We'll continue to track their battle here on AOA. Folks, join us tomorrow. We'll talk meat demand with Glenn Tonser from Kansas State University, and we'll get a look at the Purdue Ag Barometer with Jim Minter. Tune in tomorrow to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you.
Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.